You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome into Good Morning Lambo. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. You can email us, Packers Total Access at gmail.com. You can text us 865-658-5824. I'm joined alongside Tim live in Green Bay. Here to talk a little Packers with you guys this morning. Hope everybody's doing well. I know the chat's already lit up. We got Nick McSwain in the house. We got Boz in here, Eric Sutherland, Peter Stone, Andres. There you go. <laughs> Eric Sutherland said, why are we late? Clayton put soy milk in his decaf coffee. <laughs> Eric already starting on me this morning. Um, it's funny, man. I, I got up early. <laughs> I got up really early this morning, man, and I had a jump on it. And then me and Tim get in here five minutes before, really two minutes before we go live. I hit go live, get an error as I'm signed out. And I just remembered that I actually went in and changed a bunch of security settings. So it may take a little bit of time to get used to how – everything's going to roll with that because, uh, yeah, you know how it is. It's 2024. Um, it comes to your browsers. seems like there's always right. something that's uh, – I got it's two cool. notifications last night, one from email, one from PayPal. Also randomly received a bunch of money in a PayPal account, trying to figure out who sent that. Um, that was nice. kind of odd, yeah. Um, rough, email, out here. rough out here on these internet streets, man. It really is, man. Um, you just never know, dude. You never know what you're going to come across for sure. Um, at least that's uh, that's the way it seems. I tell you what, you spend five minutes on Twitter sometimes. Oh, My response is I go, you know what? I'm putting something positive out today. <laughs> that's the only way I know to combat it. Be that right. change, right? Be the change. Uh, all right, let's, let's kind of dive into a little bit of talk here. Um, Nick McSwain, first of all, says, has it been 100% confirmed that Packers are going to a 4-3 defense? There was two reports, okay? Um, one was Spoon, Tom Silverstein, and you guys know I've been very vocal saying he's kind of the mouthpiece for Goody, right? And I don't say that in a derogatory way. I'm saying that's the one it seems like Goody trusts the most. When the front office wants something in the media, rather than calling a press conference, they send it through Spoon. That's kind of what it feels like to me, uh, just reading between the lines there. Uh, he reported it, so I feel really good about it. But then Jason Wildey said he got confirmation. Now, on his show, he said, I can't remember who reported it, and I'm thinking, man, it's kind of crappy. You know it was Spoon. But anyway, um, he said, uh, I did get confirmation that they are switching to a 4-3. So with that being said, I feel really, really good about that, Nick. Here's the problem, though. Like, when people hear 4-3, they immediately think you're always going to be playing four down linemen and three linebackers. That's not how four threes work. And I'm not saying you're saying that. I'm just saying in general, people think, finally, we're going to get four down linemen. You know, if you look at Halfley, first of all, let me back up. And we've said this a lot, and I'm going to continue to say it because I really want it to hit home. Um, when you're when you're playing your four three base, you're typically matching personnel with 21 and 12. Okay. So when you go, when they go to 11 personnel, three wide receiver sets, you typically go to nickel. Now, there's some defenses in the league that play more diamond nickel and they just kind of stay away from their base, right? They just play like, I can't remember, I think it was Buffalo played 80% of their snaps in nickel. 
There's no one in the league that plays 80% of their snaps in base. No one does that now, right? Now, you'll see teams that sometimes if you go against a run-heavy team and they like to run out of a specific 11 look, right? Like last night we talked about Kansas City and their specific formation that they referred to Tiger 12. Tiger 12 meant they put McColl in, right, into a 12-personnel set. They run a bunch of nasty X look out of it. Some teams, if you do enough scouting, you could tell when that player goes on the field, they like to run with him on the field in that specific personnel. That might trigger someone to match. It, you have an opportunity to match personnel, but instead you go base against their 11 wide receiver sets. Very rare that happens, in my opinion, unless you're inside the 10, inside the 5. Now, with that being said, even with us matching nickel to 11 personnel, Jeff Halfley at Boston College, if indeed that's the type of defense we're going to get, um, he was actually playing two down linemen and two stand-up edge defenders, which is essentially the same thing we were doing last year in our nickel 2-4-5. It's a nickel 2-4-5. Now, if they put their hand in the dirt, now all of a sudden people go, that's a nickel 4-2-5, right? You see where it's the same bodies out there, the same body types, the same probably, um, I guess you could say the same assignment, but they're standing up as opposed to putting their hand in the dirt. When you stand up, it, it really what it triggers on the quarterback is that guy could possibly drop into coverage. If someone's in a three-point stance or even a four-point stance on the edge, very rare are they going to engage and then drop back, right? So that's the difference there. Um, but, yes, to answer your question, Nick, it was confirmed by both Spoon and Wildy, both cover the team, have covered the team for a very, very long time, that we are switching to a 4-3. So there you go right there. Um, let's see what else we got in the chat. Let's see. Nick McSwain said, did y'all see the graph showing Reed was like top three receiver versus zone coverage? I didn't see that specific graph, but we talked about it on this show, how Romeo Dobbs was the man beater. And uh, it was actually uh, Tay Wicks and Jaden Reed were the big zone beaters. Right. And not to say that Tay Wicks can't cook somebody in man. We've seen it over and over and over. But his uh, his passer rating when targeted against zone coverage was way higher than most. So was Reed's, right? Mm -hmm. Look at Dobbs, his passer rating when targeted versus man is way higher than versus zone. And just kind of gives you a, an idea of how how they uh yeah, how they attack those specific defenses. Nick in the chat said also, yeah, if both reported it, I believe it. I heard it doesn't really matter uh because mostly in nickel. That's true. And and that's the other thing too. You're getting a lot of reporting about chaos at the line of scrimmage, and uh it's really uh we we've already we done that last year. We've shown it over and over and over. And I don't want to harp on that too much. It's just you know people will see it this year and go, finally we're getting chaos a lot of scrims. And it's like, bro, we did that. We've done that the whole time that Barry was here. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, anyway, it's it's all about when you do it, right? Um, but yeah. So uh, Randy Cleaver says more like four two five. If their hands in the dirt, yes, right. If it's not, then it's two four five, and that's where. That's why people like LaFleur coaches like LaFleur in the past. Who was the other one? Oh, man, I can't think of his name. Uh, Wade Phillips in Dallas made fun of the media for just making this huge deal out of it. It was like, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal whether you put your hand in there or not. Um, it's just with a 34-base roster, you're looking to create a little bit of manipulation, a little bit of that sugar effect with those guys standing up, right? Especially if you want to kind of flex them out a little bit, walk Preston out a couple of yards, two or three yards, or Gary out two or three yards, and then quarterback gets his information, comes set, starts his hard count, and then that edge walks up. That kind of gives him just one other thing to process at that moment in the split second, right? So, yep. 
Um, let's see here. Ron Samble says Aaron Jones about freelancing in pass pro quote, got to protect my quarterback. Funny how he jumped in. I love it, man. Absolutely love it. Um, and that's the stuff too. Like things that have been kind of talked about over and over the last few years is how players are going off cuff and they're not running the actual play and they're going off out of scheme and this and that that's way more common than people want to uh, acknowledge, right? It's it's easy. Like when Rodgers was here, it was easy to just point the finger and go, Rodgers isn't running the play. Rodgers isn't running the play. Um, there's a lot of players that play kind of off script, if you will, because the coaches give them the freedom to do that, especially with choice routes, Tim. We see yep. it all the time. Man. Well, it's like Mike Tyson said, right? Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Right. So, so you go to the line with a plan and all of a sudden it's, you know, all hell breaks loose. You got to, you got to freelance. Absolutely. Cause if you yeah. don't, you're going to get killed. So yeah, you know, going off script, that's, yeah, that's part of the game, man. Absolutely. Really in, in any sport, really. And I'll tell you what's part of the game too, especially in the olden days. And, and we had a conversation about this, speaking of going off script, we had a conversation about scripting plays this past off season. You guys know that it was actually Jason Wildy. I think he was on with Homer and someone else. Um, had reported that Matt LaFleur does not script the first the first 10 plays, 20 plays, or what have you. He has ideas, opening ideas, but he doesn't have actual scripted plays. And we talked about how, wow, if he really does that, then, you know, that's the first time I've ever heard of a West Coast offense coach, right, West Coast-based coach, not have opening specific plays. And people were like, no, it's always been ideas. It's not really been plays. And that's that's BS. It's it's been specific plays, and this started with Bill Walsh. So I uncovered a video here of Mike Holmgren uh, scripting, talking about the openers and scripting plays. Okay, if we get hit with a copyright here, guys, the stream may go down, and it'll come right back up because it'll it'll let us know that we are allowed to use this content. So just if it does go down, just keep refreshing the stream, go back to the YouTube page, and it should come back up. Hopefully, it doesn't go down at all. But uh, we'll keep our images up here for the, or at least our uh, our blank screens on the camera too. That may help kind of combat that a bit. But here's Mike Holmgren. This is an old NFL Films video. You'll notice they're coming out of the north uh, the north end zone tunnel, um, which will really tell you how old this video is. This is before the the refurbishing of Lambeau Field. You'll notice that none of the upper deck is here either. But a really cool setup here by NFL Films, basically taking you in the quarterback room and having Brett Favre and Mike Holmgren's conversations recorded as far as scripting plays. So uh, let's go ahead and hit it. When Mike Holmgren takes the field, every play the Packers will run in their opening drive has already been planned. Like the openers? Like the openers? What? You like them? The openers? Yeah. Okay. I'll try and help you a little bit. Green Bay's first 15 plays are scripted. It's a routine Holmgren developed when he served as offensive coordinator in San Francisco. Through the years, the 49ers have kept the tradition. And while scripting still occurs today, how the plays are actually put together has been taken a step further. Bill Walsh made it popular and made it win Super Bowl. So when he scripted, then, you know, everybody else starts to script. But in Green Bay, we did, we did something just a little bit different. Regular 16 power. We presented the first 15 to the club the night before. You okay? You think on the surface they look all right? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. Real good. Okay, we have a little bit of everything, huh? Proved to be a good idea, particularly with the quarterback, to say these are our thoughts, you know, so he can run through them in his mind. Anything that rubs you the wrong way at all? No. As you, as you glance down the list, any of you? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. pretty good. From a play caller's standpoint, 
what it does is it allows you to uh, get plays, and it hasn't been an emotional call. It hasn't. You aren't excited about anything. You've thought this through ahead of time and done it. We open up the game with 51x spot flanker cross red left slot. They've seen the, uh, you know, the 51x spot on film. So I think we got a real good chance to get Robert in there, Brett. You know. All right, here we go. We're up. All right, 51. Here we go. 51 X spot, Michael Cross. Let's see what we got. What do you expect on the first snap, coverage-wise? You think? Uh, probably like cover three. Safeties are pretty tight, huh, sir? Blue 58. Brett's going to throw on first down over the middle. The man making the catch is Robert Brooks. That's the way to start off. Number two, a change of personnel. Tiger, Tiger's on the field. 323 Y stick, west left slot. Should be a completion. Tiger, 323 Y stick. You know, it's been a good play for us, and uh, if they hug us up now, if they hug us up, we'll go back to the backside. West left slot, 323 Y stick. Come on, ready? You gotta work it, Robert. Okay, and again, Robert is a factor there, and, and I'd like to get him started early. You know what I mean? Get him a couple right. catches early. Blue 58 Here is the first down play. I love this. I had to pause it for just a second. If they hug us up, we're going to come back to the back side. Meaning, if they if they kind of snug down on the front side, especially if they're playing cover three, if they tighten up that zone on the front side, he's going to come to a backside dig, a backside slant. Right. I love how you mentioned that. I love how you also said we're going to get Robert Brooks going early. This is that think player, not play. Right. It, it's important to get receivers involved early especially your playmakers and the reason being imagine you're out there running route after route after route after route you're not getting the ball right it's easy to kind of go stale and your mind gets kind of unplugged from what it is the offense is trying to accomplish you want to keep people involved i know that sounds silly because if they're double teaming someone that's a whole different ball game right but you want to at least show hey look i'm trying to get you the ball here right that yep. way they stay engaged it's important man these guys are humans right so by Brent. He's back to throw and he wants to go long. He's got a man on the open. That's Robert Brooks. Oh, just overshotting. Oh, that's awesome. Almost, huh? Hey, almost. Hey, get the next one. If all of a sudden I'm on the script and the first six plays don't do anything, now we're off the script right away. You know, I've done that. Uh, but more often than not, you stay with it. Regardless of down and distance, we'll put Eagle in the game. And we'll try and hit that quick trap. Uh, spread left. Spread left. 61 trap on one. Ready? Now Brett Farr doing some motion and goes with the ball off to Dorsey Levens up the middle for five, six, seven, eight, nine yards. Third and one. Third and one. Let's go. Now we got to get it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. We need two. Okay, we're going to slant on the over. Um, Zebra personnel. How do you think they're going to? They match up pretty good, Bones. Yeah, they've been matching up pretty good, um, real well as compared to last week. Yeah. Okay. So, so we just be prepared for that and, and the possible over. Blue 53. Here's the third down and short yard. He's a quick pattern off to Robert Brooks. Needs to get a first down. Did he? Yes. Let's Good job. Good job, Robert. Nice job, Robert. Never covered you. I know. Number eight, Fox 2XY hook. Boy, it's been a good play for us. And again, give the tight end every chance on that. Don't come off too early. Green 18. Right. Green 18 to Far pulled him offside that time and the contact made. Here's Barb with a free play over the middle. Caught by Jamal to the 35 and down. I love that. Talking about don't come off too early. You you got a you got a, a front window, you got a back window as well, right? You got a second window. Right there, he's still in the front window, and he's letting them know, like, listen, don't just look up and say, okay, it's not open and move on. 
like stay on it, stay on it because it's going to come open, especially against zone. That's like the reason I love crossers, drags, and digs is because they run away from man and through zone, right? They're, they're kind of a crosser is like one of the best routes in the game. If you throw a backside dig on it, which is that slot cross that Matt LaFleur loves to run so much, it's absolutely huge. It, it's hard for a defense to stay with that the entire time, especially when you're playing zone, zone match, where in, in some cases with zone and zone match combo, you're passing those off to the next line of defense. Uh, this is good stuff, man. And guys, this is from the early 90s, right? Mid, I guess early to mid, probably mid, probably mid 90s. I would say this is around the MVP years when they started getting, you know, uh, noticed a lot more there in Green Bay. And this stuff still holds true. It's I just love, love how football is. It, yes, it changes, but it's cyclical. Whatever changes is going to come back around later on. The 32-yard line. Three-jet zebra drive, uh, and then we got the post in behind it. Trips left. Um, depending on how active those safeties are, you know. Now, don't see any ghosts out there, though. Let the let the receiver make the play. All right. Okay, now I prefer that you throw the ball in bounds now uh, when we throw this one. Don't right. throw a rocket out of bounds. Let's keep it. Give him a chance. Brooks was in motion. Back goes Brent to throw it, and it's breaking down. I mean, has to throw sidearm. There's Schrader at the 31. One thing he mentioned was zebra there. I've heard Mark Chamora talk about zebra. I'm pretty sure zebra was their 11 personnel, one running back, three tied, or I'm sorry, one tied in with the three wide receiver set. Our technique's been good. Uh, Frank and Aaron and Adam have really been getting out and doing a good job. So, you know, and, and when you get in the huddle, because I'm so hard on them in practice, yeah. you know, you. I know you always kind of make a joke of it with them and kind of get them going. All right, here we go. They're going to jump right here. You know they're going to jump. Everybody hold your water. Because they get out in space and people <laughs> see them make those blocks, and I think they like that. Blue, 58. Four wide huh. receivers for Green Bay this time. And John uh, time Michaels. Michaels jumped. Come on now. Hey, we got to use the hand. John, come on. You're better than that. Come on. And then the last of uh, the first 15, 300 Jet Lion, double wing left, flex. You know, uh, again, I'll emphasize with the wide receivers as far as setting those guys up with their releases and then make the good throw in there, and, and that, should be a, that should be a good completion for us. Spread left, 300 Jet Lion on one. Ready? I guess we stay with the play unless you see what? Strong safety on the line. And they're ready for that audible. Yeah. And we did that just over practice. Okay. Black two Jet swing! Swing arrow. Is that the audible for swing arrow? Black two jet swings. Oh man, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we don't, we didn't look like we didn't practice. What the hell happened there? Yeah, football. Man, 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 we should have had that. Hey, 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 come here. You guys didn't run swing arrow, did you? I didn't know it was swing arrow. Swing. Unbelievable. We're calling audibles and no one knows what's, we know what we're doing. I looked out there and I got caught here because I said, what the hell are they doing? You know, we ran a lot of plays to get three points. I don't like how we did all of some of that. In stuff. the Packers' first drive, they followed the script fairly closely. Holmgren took note of how his opponent reacted to various formations. And although Green Bay's 15 plays only accounted for three points, the purpose of the script is not to win the game in 15 plays, but to see how the game can be won after that. 15 plays uh, is about our limit, and then and then I'm off and running. So more so than anything there, too, what they're doing is they're gathering information, right? The, the opening script, yes, you want to score. You've 
what you've done is you've, you've spent, like we talk about, probably a four-game saturation of scouting that team. So you've went back and you've watched their previous four games. You've also watched your previous two head-to-head matchups versus that team. How did they approach it? How did we approach it? What was successful? What wasn't? It's why it's so hard to beat the same team twice in the same year because those adjustments are made going into the next game. And if you were on the winning side, you're going in thinking, this worked last time, let's do it. And they're going in thinking, this is what they did last time. Here's how we stop it. So now the adjustments happen. But you're using those openers more so than, than trying to attack that weakness that they showed on the on the previous four-game saturation or the two head-to-heads. You're also using it to go, okay, how are they going to respond to that? And as they make their adjustments, now you counter-adjust, right? And, uh, it, you know, when you hear about us throwing a lot early in the game, you'll notice sometimes they stuff the run, they stuff the run, and it's still the first quarter. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. And then all of a sudden we get away from the run. And everybody's like, why did we get away from the run? The reason being is because you heard Holmgren. If I, if I run six or seven plays, and they shut it down, Tim, I'm off it. I'm okay. I, I'm, I'm going to get off the script a little bit. Let's go off script. And sometimes you can, you know, he was talking about specifically in a play seeing ghosts, but sometimes as play callers, you can see ghosts too. You can walk right into a trap because you get off your script and then they adjust quickly back to what, what you did before. And now they've got you kind of seeing ghosts, basically meaning seeing something that isn't actually there. That's what that term means, especially on the field, which you guys probably seen the famous video of, uh, I think it was, uh, gosh, the quarterback, the backup quarterback for the L.A. Rams at the time was with the, uh, was it with the Jets, Sam Darnold? 
thinking, and he was playing Bill Belichick. And they got the clip of him, NFL Films had him mocked up, and he's sitting on the sideline after he threw like a second interception. He goes, man, I'm seeing ghosts out there. I love it, dude, because it's like that's Belichick, Belichick in a nutshell, man, the way he can disguise sugar and do so many things out of different looks. But that brings back some memories there, too. Oh, man, dude. I love that, <laughs> that first shot of the old Lambo for sure. Yeah. Uh, takes me back to childhood. And, you know, what? what's really cool there is to see, especially for some of the younger people out there that maybe don't don't remember Brett, um, you talk about leadership there in the huddle. You know, you got guys making mistakes and and Brett's, you know, talking them up, letting them know, hey, you screwed up, but hey, you're better than that. Right. You know, just just leadership from that huddle. And then um, I like the commentary, too, about the change in the arm angle. You know, a lot of people act like we've never seen that until Pat Mahomes came into the NFL. Right. It's, just, it's just not true. Brett Favre was, you know, humming that tater back in the 90s like that. So, uh, you know, it's a testament to just how good he was. And really a good inside look at Holmgren and his approach uh, made me felt like uh, I was back in uh, grade school there with the old uh, projector. <laughs> yes. You know, when the film room was really film. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It looked like they had a little fog machine in the room too, to add to the effect. Right. You could see that I, either that either or, that or was someone smoking a lung dart in the background. <laughs> in or the something. Back, right? <laughs> exactly. Old Max McGee in the back, sitting back there, burning one. Right. Uh, there you go. Um, you know, something else, too, you talk about. It wasn't the first time that you've seen an off-angle throw, a sidearm throw when Pat Mahomes came in. Another thing was the RPO. You know, a few years yeah. ago, Philadelphia made it famous, right? It was like, what is this RPO? It's run-pass option, right? And basically what it is, you've got a run play called with a pass play baked into it as well, meaning as the ball snapped, if the quarterback sees something that he likes, he can throw the pass before the lineman get downfield where it would be ineligible receiver downfield. So now what it does is as you snap the ball and everything looks like a run play, the backers key in most of the time on the offensive line and their movement. So as they key in on the offensive line, they read run and they step up. Then the ball goes whizzing by their ear on a slant. That's an RPO. Well, the reason I bring that up, Doug pointed something out in here. Doug said pretty good quarterback room there, Favre, Brunel, and Peterson. Obviously, Mark Brunel went on to have his most success playing for the upstart Jacksonville Jaguars. He led them to, I believe, an AFC championship. It might have been their first one or two years in the league. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was under, uh, you know, the old, uh, the, the, a very, a much younger, I should say, Tom Coughlin, who went on to win Super Bowls there with the New York Giants. But uh, Mark Brunel was in that quarterback room. And so was Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson, some people were going, I've heard that name. Yeah, he was the, he's the head coach in Jacksonville. He also won a Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles. He won that Super Bowl with the Eagles the year that the RPO really took off. I'm showing connection issues, so I apologize. Hopefully to clean up here in a second, guys. It's definitely on restream side. but um, So he, he started running those RPOs, right? And people were like, wow, Doug Peterson's a genius for running these RPOs, this and that. You know where he got it from? And he actually talked about it. They did that in Green Bay. You know whose idea it was? Brett Favre's Brett Favre told Holmgren, Hey, look, when we run this halfback draw, sometimes they would call a halfback draw. They would snap the ball and he'd give a little pump fake and hand the ball off on the draw, right? You're trying to get the backers to bot. He said, Mike, they're not even botting on that pump. He said, what if as the ball snapped at that slants there, why don't I just hammer that slant, even though it's a running play. So he gave him the freedom to do that. So he would start doing that. 
Brett would start doing it. That's where Doug Peterson originally got the RPO concept from, was backup to Brett Favre and them taking advantage of the fact that the linebackers keen in on the running play early based off the offensive line and all that. Now, with a draw play, it's kind of the opposite, right? Like you're you're trying to make it look like a pass play. Everybody's kind of pass blocking and then hand the ball off, draw up the middle, right? So you're trying to take advantage of that, you know, aggressiveness on both sides there. But I just want to point that out. It's funny you pointed out that Doug Peterson was sitting in the back of that quarterback room and Brett Favre was one of the first, if not the first quarterback to run the RPO. Just imagine that Brett Favre going off cuff, right, with some wild idea. Um, I know he's just a dumb redneck. He doesn't know anything about football, but he just got a strong arm. I thought it was great when Holmgren asked him, well, what do you think of the coverage here, Brett? And he said, oh, oh, cover three. And it's like, look at Brett learning coverage a few years into the NFL finally. (laughs) If you talk to his former teammates too, they all say that all shucks is BS. He is way, way smarter than he lets on. He likes to kind of play to that country boy Top, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't know anything. Top approach, um, but he did not know what nickel was. It sounded like when he actually came in the league, yeah. which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> Carly said, "What segment's that from?" I'm not sure the exact episode. I found the clip just combing through YouTube um, and just looking for coaching video. This time of year, I know most people just kind of unplug, they'll unsubscribe, unfollow, and they'll just kind of go do their thing until football season gets kicked up. This is like a second season for me. As soon as the year ends. I'm diving into what did teams do successfully like us breaking down, you know, the Super Bowl. I don't know if you can see all those notes, but that's that's the chart from the Super Bowl, okay? Because I want to know what did those two of those top three defenses do, right, in the Super Bowl to have success shutting each other down and just try to stay ahead of the game. I also go into the past and go, let's see if we can find some old coaching tape. I want to see stuff that that I've never seen before and try to learn something in the off season, usually I'll set a goal of two or three things. I really want to fully understand going into the year. Two years ago, it was the RPO. I did a extensive deep dive before I was doing podcasting. I did an extensive deep dive on RPO because I just wanted to learn about it. Um, so that's kind of, that's where I found it. If you just go to YouTube and type in coaching, coaching videos, coaching docs, there'll be all kinds of stuff come up for sure, man. Mano said that had him jacked up. I love it. dude. Just the, the, the nostalgia effect is what gets me. And what's crazy. If you look on the screen here, looking toward the North end zone, Look at that little bitty tunnel. That's the tunnel that Holmgren was walking out of. So think of it. The whole upper deck wasn't there. All you have is a scoreboard up on top of it. And, and that was before the, you know, the home team uh, addition of the exactly. tunnel. So both both okay. teams would come out of that, come out yep. of that little tunnel. I love it, man. God, I love history, dude. I'm such a nerd. Such a nerd. Eric Sutherland said that made me go get my old Favre jersey out. Didn't fit just a just a shrink on the on the hanger. There you go, the shrunk, yeah, right. Okay, okay, yeah. Eric. Sure. Absolutely. You you didn't get bigger. It got smaller. You didn't get bigger. Yeah, it must have shrunk. For it reminds sure. me of the old Favre sound bot when he put that hat on. He said, either my head's getting bigger, these hats are getting smaller. And he looked at the guy and went, shut up. Don't <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I like this right here. David Mitchell said it was Steve Mariucci. Mooch was back there a lot in the darts. <laughs> I love it, man. Stephen Smith said, everyone doing mocks, how's the free agency list looking? We've already went through that, Stephen. Um, that's the very first thing we did as soon as our season was over was we evaluated the free agency class so we could jump into mock drafts. Most people just do mock drafts, right? Or most people go, I think we should sign this free agent. We should sign that free agent. The way I've done it in the offseason, it took years to kind of develop this, but it really does help me understand everything globally. What I like to do first as soon as the season's over is I draw out our needs, 
first of all, I pull up our current free agent list, right? That's the first thing that I look at. You guys know I did that here on live on the air. Bang. These are all our unrestricted free agents and our restricted free agents. So it kind of gives you an idea <clears throat> of what the roster is going to look like. Right. So these are the players we we may or may not sign. I set the needs list as if we're not signing any of these players. So my needs list was two safeties. I'm sorry, four safeties, two of them starting caliber, four corners, two of them starting caliber, one being a nickelback. Three offensive linemen, one being starting caliber, meaning right guard. Um, one defensive lineman starting caliber because we need to improve that position significantly. Uh, linebacker, two linebackers, one starting because we're switching to a 4-3 and one backup because we need that extra body in there too. And the reason it went from two, two D linemen to one D linemen and from one linebacker to two linebackers is when we made that shift from a 3-4 to a 4-3, you're going to need one less body in the defensive line room one more body in the linebacker room. Then we went one backup tight end because we're only got three coming back under under contract unless Tyler Davis somehow makes a roster. One halfback, one backup halfback because we're probably losing A.J. Dillon, most likely. If we don't, we'll cross that off the list. We'll still probably need a backup halfback anyway, to be honest with you, because you want to have four with one kind of jumping on and off the practice squad. Um, but I doubt you'll spend any money in free agency on a halfback if A.J. Dillon does get a little bit of the bag, right? And then one edge defender because Kingsley and Igbari is going to start on injured reserve most likely or the pup or whatever you want to call it. So with that being said, we identified the needs. We went in the free agency and we tried to identify who are the players that we would be interested in signing. Here's what we came away with. Linebacker, linebacker Bobby Wagner to the tune of $4 million, That's his fair market value. Safety Geno Stone, $6.5 million. Alohi Gilman, $2.7 million. Those two are safeties. I apologize. Safety Darnell Savage, who's currently on the roster. I'm feeling more and more like they're probably going to bring him back because he played better in the Mike Pettin system. And this will be a little bit closer to the Mike Pettin system, I would imagine. However, toward the end of the year, we started playing more and more of just that single high we got away from Shell. So with that being said, obviously Savage's you know grades increased a bit. He played a little bit better down the stretch there, pick six, what have you, him rotating into the box playing rat. Um, so we had $6 million on Connor Williams' center, but we discovered he had an ACL. Don't like that. He won't be available till probably November or December at the earliest. So we moved on from that and then guard Greg Von Roten. So now we know these are the players. We combed through all the positions, the cornerbacks, I didn't like any of them for the price they had on them. Remember that, Tim? We were like, that's a good player, but, man, we don't need to spend that kind of money, especially with all the cap tied up in Ja right now. So right. what we came away with, one linebacker, three safeties, one center or no center, cross it off the list. I need to just cross it off, one guard, right? So what we did, we identified the needs. We identified the potential free agents we would be interested in. Now we jump into mock draft season. Why do we do that? We get into mock drafts to evaluate the depth of the draft. We do our own mock drafts, keying in on our personal needs. And then what we've got is we're going to come away with an exercise that's going to tell us how many of those needs will we able to fill. Once that exercise is complete, which will be six mock drafts, two from three different websites, so we get different databases, then we'll look up and go, okay, this mock draft, we still needed three corners. This mock draft, we still needed two safeties. This mock draft, we still needed two offensive linemen. And you compile that information as if we follow the draft with that average number. And now you've got an idea of what the draft looks like going into free agency. Now, they're going to re-sign players. we got important dates coming up here real soon. When that happens, 
then that'll kind of fill some of those needs. You cross those needs off the list. Now you're kind of, you're basically, you got this huge target during the off season, right? And you're slowly gathering information and bringing that target in, putting the bullseye in on, okay, here's where we really need to put our attention. Then you can deep dive prospects and go out of this specific position group that we're really got a, a potential need at. You can kind of figure out who's the best scheme fits, who has the best grades from PFF, on on and on, right? So that's how we did it. So, yeah, everyone doing mocks, that's cool. How's the free agency list looking? We've already kind of dove into free agency. We're going to wrap back around to it when that time comes for sure. Right now it's mock draft season to we're really evaluating the talent in the draft. That makes sense, Tim? Absolutely. So everything has a purpose, man. Everything has a purpose for sure. Um, Let me check the chat real quick, make sure I'm not missing anything. Looks like you – yeah, you're marking some, ain't you, Tim? Yep. All right, cool. This is Master Assassin said, this draft class looks really strong between 20 to 100, which is where most of our picks are. I wonder if we will try to get more picks there or if we have found some gems between 150 and 215. Again, that's a great comment, great question. Um, You know, Master, what I would say – I'm a boring fan when it comes to the draft. I'm always team trade back. You know, it just seems like we hit in the second round more than any. And it's not, it's not necessarily specifically the second round because we're just really good at scouting the second round. It's, I think that you've got a cluster of players there. Like you said, at about that 20 mark, it drops off last year. It was right after Van Ness and a couple, couple players after that, it kind of dropped off a bit. Right. So you're picking in that same tier of talent it's okay to trade back and get more swings, more bots at the apple there, if you will. And the more rookie contracts you have, the better for your salary cap situation under the new CBA. But let me give you kind of an idea here. This is the 33rd team's horizontal board. It still hasn't been updated yet. This is kind of their first wave. I think there's 105 prospects that they've graded out so far. Let me drop this down real quick. I appreciate the comment there, Master Assassin. So you'll see with their grades on the horizontal board in the seven plus, there's four in their top tier. In their second tier, in tier one, there's four players. In tier two, there's two players. In tier three, there is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players. In tier four, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 players. So you see, tier four is where you're going to have the best chance of getting, you know, getting a prospect in that current tier. Okay. So if you were to count that off, that was what, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. So around pick 15, is kind of that that top three tiers. So we're picking at 25. There's a pretty good chance we won't be able to pick out of that top 15. But when you get into the next tier, you're probably going to have three or four players you like in that next tier. Sometimes that warrants you trading down because if you trade down, you know, two to five picks, there's still a good chance you'll get one of your guys in the current top tier of talent. That makes sense. So as you cross these guys off your horizontal board as the draft unfolds, let's say for some reason Latham falls. And just let me give you a scenario where the Packers could potentially trade up. Let's say Latham falls and we're at pick 25 and somehow Latham is still there. Latham is in tier two. I'm not saying I'm just randomly picking one out here. Latham is in tier two. When you get down to about pick 20, 21, and he's still there, now Goody's got to make the decision. Hey, look, he has got such good value on him it might be worth it for us to trade up because we're climbing up a couple of tiers in talent. He's now within reach to grab. That's what happened with Jordan Love. And as sure. you guys know, these quarterbacks are going to be treated as if they were one tier higher than they actually are. What I mean by that is Drake may grading out at 6.8. If this was my horizontal board, I would put him in that six, nine category. 
Jaden Daniels being in that 6'7 spot, I would put him in the 6'8 category. They basically – they're willing to take quarterbacks. They're willing to reach one tier. So, essentially, their value is that equal of one tier higher than their actual scouted value, if that makes sense. I'm not saying the Packers should take a quarterback. I'm just using that as an example how more value is put on quarterback than other positions. So um, You're right, though. I think it's like, you know, you're going to trade up if you you got your sights on a particular player. You know, right. someone someone who may have fall, fallen and you're, it's high on your draft board – you're, you're going to trade back when, you know, you're like you said, you're looking to take multiple swings here in the later rounds. Yeah, definitely. And, and again, this horizontal board, some people may look at this board and say, I don't agree with it. That's totally cool. That's not the point of showing this board. This is the 33rd team's websites horizontal board. The goal is to show you how a horizontal board lays out in the different tiers. And notice how you can see the cluster of positions. Like if you look at this and just glance, you go, OK, quarterbacks kind of top heavy. Right. Another one that you would say is top heavy would be tackle because there's so many in those top three or four tiers. But look, in the next tier, you've got even more. This is a really deep tackle class, it looks like. Another thing, too, look at the edge defenders. Right. There's none in the top two tiers, but it's a position of tier one importance. You can see someone reaching a little bit to get one of those top tier or top tier edges look at cornerback we've got four needs at cornerback in my opinion that's before we re-sign our players right and obviously before we attack free agency goody if his board looked identical to this he's looking at cornerback and going hey there's no reason to spend money in free agency guys we should be able to get a solid corner in this draft a couple of them because look how they're right there i mean there's a ton of corners to pick from safety is a different ball game there's no safeties according to the 33rd team in the top three three tiers of talent. We, on all of our mocks, if we landed Newbin and or Kinchins, we're able to get them in the second with the with the second round picks, right? So with that being said, it's it kind of makes sense to wait, but at the same time, if there's only two at the top, that's going to drive the value up for those safeties too. So if a team really needs a safety, they're probably going to know, look, there's two that are head, head and shoulders above the rest, might want to reach a little bit to get those safeties. So – yeah, that's the information that the horizontal board gives you as opposed to just a vertical spreadsheet where all the everybody's listed in one column. This shows you the the overall picture of, all right, where's the depth? Where are they being selected at? Where's their value really sit? Where are the clusters of positions on and on? So that just shows how much they, they have to pay attention to, you know, what are what these other teams needs are, too. You know, you're not just focusing on your own needs going into the draft. You got to know. You know, you're you're picking 25th, you know, safety is a need for us. We may want to draft somebody. You got to know what these other teams may be looking to poach one as well. You know, and you've got to have a plan to adjust. So uh, it's a great point. Yeah. Steve in the chat said, I hear from a lot of places that there's two guys Green Bay has their eyes on. Edrin Cooper, linebacker out of Texas A&M, and Jonathan Brooks, running back out of Texas. Have you guys heard anything? I have not heard that, Steve, but I really put the blinders on. And I don't listen to just everyone who's breaking. Sometimes when you get people who say that, and this may not be the case, I just it's just been my past experience. Sometimes when you get people saying that, they watch the prospects, they like them, they look and go, oh, well, they ran a lot of zone scheme. They ran, that'd be a good fit for the Packers. Bang, now all of a sudden the rumor gets out there that the Packers really like these players, right? Not right. necessarily the case. Could be, could be. I'm not saying it's you know out of the question. But let's look at those players on the draft board here according to the 33rd team. Edrin Cooper, evidently they have not graded him yet, right? Because um, he is not showing up on their big board yet. The information isn't in there yet, right? I don't know if I have it on mine yet either. Let me take a quick glance. 
because I there's a lot of information that's still got to come out. The edge would be lit up in the green because it's a tier one of, uh, or I'm sorry, the linebacker would be blue if he's on this list. It would light up blue. Let me drop your chat down real quick. You see him anywhere in there, Edgerin? What we say, Edgerin Cooper? Edgerin yeah. Cooper, linebacker. Yeah, there he is, number 45 spot. So I've got an overall grade for him. Um, I've got him sitting in the 45 spot right now. So that would be worthy of the 45th pick according to my board. OK, so if you're going to take him, probably take him with what pick was at 41, I think, Tim, if I remember correctly, we have 41. I think so. Yeah. Pull up one of our mock drafts here real quick just to see. Um, yeah, we got the 41st pick. So him being 45th in talent, 41 would be a better spot for him than number 25. And again, I've got a ton of information. I've only got 50 prospects, 49 prospects graded here. So that could completely change and he could sink or he could rise to the top. It's still really early in that regard. So uh, as far as Jonathan Brooks, he is one of my favorite uh, halfbacks in this draft. Um, you're probably not going to see him here because I don't have all the information in. And the reason being is the 33rd team don't even have him on the board yet either, I don't think. Yeah, he's not on the board at all. Uh, Jonathan Brooks, the thing about him, he tore his ACL. He tore it kind of late in the season. I think Jake or someone told me it was either October or November. So you're not going to have him for most of the season. He's going to sink on the on the draft board significantly. So. Keep that in mind when it comes to Jonathan Brooks. But <clears throat> if he was healthy, I think Jonathan Brooks is the best running back in this draft, hands down. The problem is he tore that ACL, right? So uh, just yeah. something to kind of keep your eye on there. Uh, let's see what else we got. We got we hit that one, didn't we? Um, make sure we're not missing anything else here in the chat, man. Um, let's see. Let's see what Eric Sutherland said. I'm convinced that Penix or McCarthy is still around at 25. Goot will trade out of the first – that's a good point, Eric. Um, if someone really likes one of those two quarterbacks, right? Um, if we were to count that off here, you know, we got what four, just six. I'm just going to do it really, really quickly. Fifteen. Let's call it twenty-five. I kind of feel like that's still reaching a bit for him. Um, maybe forty-one. If those two guys are there, Goot might look to trade down. If someone's going to kind of sell the farm a bit to get those quarterbacks. But you never know, right, by the time the draft gets here, we may have McCarthy and Penix up there around 6'6", right, yep. um, as it falls into place. Now, they're according to the 33rd team, their grade is not going to change, to the best of my knowledge. They're done scouting these players, so they won't jump. But on some boards, you know, 33rd team isn't everything. I disrespect them because it's a website that's ran by former coaches, former players, former executives. I really take their opinion very, very, uh, very strongly. So, there. Um, all right, cool. So we kind of hit on that. Now, some of the other stuff that we got our eye on, Tim, Cheesehead TV put a video out. It was actually Aaron Negler. Um, he uh, he described or explained the Keyshawn Nixon situation, and I thought he, he made a really good point, okay? Keyshawn, when we signed him last year, we tacked on voidable years, right? And, you know, I don't understand everything about the voidable years, but this note, what he said in the video is showing on Spotrack's site. If you look here, basically, we signed Keyshawn Nixon to a one-year deal, but we tacked on one, two, three, four voidable years, okay? And the reason we did that is we took that money and spread that cap hit out over those four years. So essentially, on 2024, $1.4 million cap hit with a dead cap of $1.4 million, right? So what that means is as soon as he's off the roster, that accelerates into 2024, right? That $1.4 that we're going to owe in that regard. All right, so if you look in the bottom left, it says uh, 2024 through 2027 years automatically void on February 19th, 2024 for a $1.48 million 
dead cap hit. So when you tack on the voidable years, once they're off your roster, right, once that contract expires in the current year, it accelerates to the current cap hit, okay? Now, the reason we mention that is because, like Aaron Negler pointed out in his video, the fact that that deadline is set at February 19th, if you're going to make a decision on Keyshawn Nixon, it's going to happen probably before February 19th. And the reason being is you sign into that new contract and you've still got those affordable years intact, you can kind of maneuver around on the cap hit and make that work, right? So you guys know I've been pretty vocal. I'm not really that interested in having Keyshawn be our starting slot corner, but him as a returner is invaluable, right? He was the top kick returner again this year. What I would like to see happen is them extend him, and I'd like to see them extend him for kick return purposes, but you now have a floor set in the nickelback room. And then if you go out in the draft or if you find a gym in free agency that can play that slot corner, that nickelback row, then you've, you've got a solid backup with experience in Keyshawn Nixon in the nickelback row, right? Now, here's the thing, too. Halfley may come in. Jeff Halfley, the new D.C., may come in, watch the tape, and go, I really like this Keyshawn Nixon. I can work with him. And he's kind of the DB whisperer is, you know, is how mm -hmm. Jeff is painted. So he may like Nixon and tell LaFleur, hey, look, I want him to be my nickelback. You're going to trust his judgment over mine all day long. I think you could improve that position. But obviously, if he comes in there and sees what he likes or, or likes what he sees on tape with Nixon, with Key, then that might be your slot corner moving forward. Keyshawn has been very vocal on Twitter and everything, posting pictures. Like he didn't clean his locker out, said he didn't want to jinx it. He wanted to be back as a Packer. Um, so something to keep your eye on there. I think there's a good chance they re-sign him, and there's a good chance they re-sign Savage. I want to point this out with Savage, though. Again, lower left down there, you see it specifically mentions avoidable years. I don't understand how avoidable years work to a T. There might be specific clauses you can put in that determines whether one accelerates or not. But if we go to Savage's contract, you got the same situation, avoidable years, right? 2024, you've got $5.4 in cap hit right, from voidable years, and they spreaded those voidable years out through 2025, 26, 27, and 28. If you tally all that up, it comes to $5.4 million. But notice in the bottom left on the contract notes, you don't see it listed down there. See what I'm saying, Tim? So it's yeah. like, why does it not list it? It could have just been overlooked by Spotrack. It could be something that's specifically in the clause. It's not going to accelerate. Maybe they have a little more time. I don't know. I imagine the rules apply across the board when it comes to voidable years. But if there's one thing we've learned in the last few years, the voidable years aspect, the cash over cap approach to building rosters now until they close that loophole. Loophole, I don't think we really understand exactly how it works. We being us, the fans, obviously, Goody, Russ Ball, they know what the heck's going on. But, uh, yeah, so just wanted to point that out that uh, Aaron Negler done a good job, um, obviously, uncovering that, that by February 19th, you're going to have a decision there, okay? and how Savage's contract comes into play, too. Now, some other important dates real quick. Um, obviously, Aaron Jones, he restructured his contract last year on February 17th. So you got the 19th as kind of the deadline, right, for getting Keyshawn Nixon back. And you have February 17th last year was when the restructure happened. So if you're going to restructure these deals with Aaron Jones and David Bakhtiari, it's probably going to happen somewhere between the 17th and the 19th would be my my guess. It could happen any day, but the deadline kind of being the 19th, um, it's the 13th right now. So what day is that next week, Tim? Did you say the 19th? Did you say it was Sunday next week? 19th is Monday, I Monday. believe. Gotcha. So next Monday, by next Monday, we should have some idea 
of what this roster, the first stages of building this 2024 roster is going to look like. Okay. Just want to lay that timeline out. Some other dates too. If we looked at the league calendar and see how it lines up, February 20th is the beginning this date through 4 PM New York Eastern standard time on March 5th, clubs may designate franchise or transition players. So starting on February 20th, you can put your franchise and transition tags on players. Okay. So, February 19th is kind of that last calendar date to get this stuff buttoned up before now it's franchise tag season. Okay. And again, that'll run from February 20th through March 5th. And then of course, February 27th, one week later is when the scouting combine will crank up at Lucas Hill stadium. We'll be bringing you guys all that uh, stuff as well. We'll show you some clips of them running combine uh, drills and things like that. Maybe some, usually someone falls down, something funny happens. Somebody gets hit in the head with a football, off a jugs machine. Like there's always good stuff to cover with the combine too. So we'll be bringing you all that action as well. Having fun with it. So uh, Tim, anything you want to add to that as far as the dates and stuff, specific dates? No, I just think it's uh, exciting. You know, any, any day now we could get some news. Um, like you yeah. said, especially on uh, Jones and Keyshawn, um, and hopefully Bach will hear something. Yeah. The, the Bach situation is really interesting because people were so vocal on it. Sometimes people will tweet stuff out and it makes you think they've got inside information, but Bach has made it real clear. He wanted to stay in green Bay. Um, I know some fans, he's kind of rubbed some fans the wrong way because he's very vocal in his social media and everything. You guys know, I, I actually appreciate that, that people feel like they can be themselves. Hark, it's America. You're allowed to say what you want to say. Yes. There's, repercussions that come with that that right but at the same time um i don't understand the whole thing of everybody wants the player they like to agree with everything politically everything uh you know as long as you're not hurting anyone else i just don't understand that whole mindset but um i'm eager to see if box going to be back and the main thing is the health right and here's the reality is goody may have already made the decision too he may have yeah. already made the decision we're moving on right he's not going to say that in a public eye i will say this his presser he had the other day when they asked about Aaron Jones coming back, we know there needs to be a restructure put in place because there's a $17 million cap hit. I don't think he'll play under that, although I'd be willing to let him play under that because he's that valuable to the team, both in pass pro, running the ball, and then when he's healthy, catching the ball in the backfield. If you don't believe me, go back and watch week one when he took that angle route to the house against those ugly bears. But the way Goody answered the question with Aaron Jones coming back, he said he's the heart and soul of this team, right? When they asked about Bach, he said, yeah, Bach's working through a lot of stuff. Uh, we got to see. It was a whole different answer, right? So um, we're going to find out soon enough. If nothing, if a decision isn't made by February 19th, I think that's trending towards they're going to cut him uh, a little later in the offseason. And the reason I say that is because Zadarius Smith was one that would fall into a similar category. We hit on this the other day. You didn't hear anything about from Z that year when we cut him, and it was kind of like, what's the plan with Z? What's the plan with Z? And then on March 14th, Zadarius Smith, who would have been responsible for a $27.7 million cap hit in 2023, box, by the way, is set $39 million, uh, was released by the Packers to save $15.3 million in salary cap space. Box is going to free up roughly $20 million for the cap. So if a decision, if a restructure isn't made by the 19th, uh, kind of like uh, what we've seen here with Aaron Jones's last year, I think it could carry on as long as March 14th or around mid-March before they would potentially cut him. And why is that? If you go look at the dates here, um, March 13th, March 11th through 13th, during the period beginning at 12 noon New York time on March 11th and ending um, on March 13th, 
Clubs are permitted to contact and enter into contract negotiations with the certified agents of players who will become unrestricted free agents upon the expiration of their 2023 player contracts at 4 p.m. New York time. Okay, Um, March 11th through the 13th, during the above two-day negotiating period, a prospective UFA who is not represented by an NFLPA certified contract advisor or an unrepresented player is permitted to communicate directly with the new club's front office officials, excluding the head coaches and other members of the club's coaching staff regarding contract negotiations. The club is responsible for confirming the player's status as an unrepresented player. So around that time is when things are going to heat up with free agency. So just trying to give you guys a quick timeline. I know some people go, this isn't boring. These aren't hot, hot, hot takes. This isn't uh, interesting. We don't do that type of stuff on the show. We bring you the boring stuff and the stuff yeah. that goes into what actually matters on the roster, not he said this, she said that, political season ramping up, all that. I about said a bad word, all that crap. <laughs> I think um, with Bakhtiari, too, you know, he's uh, never been the one to shy away from cryptic tweets. So no. if anyone's going to know what's happening, the Packers aren't going to tell us before they tell Bach. <laughs> Bingo. So, so keep an eye on his social media. You might get some uh, – little tidbits of information here and there as this develops. Definitely. I I would be okay, me personally, and I'm probably in the minority with this, but I would be okay with them bringing Bach back if they can shave roughly $8 off the cap. Not kicking the can down the road. I'm talking about a pay cut, okay? If you take a pay cut, if he takes a pay cut and reduce his cap hit to around $32 this year, he would still have the highest cap hit or one of the highest cap hits amongst offensive tackles in the game. Now, some people hear that and go, no way, Clayton. I don't want to deal with the injuries anymore. I would rather free up the $20 million. I completely respect that, and I don't look at your opinion there and say, that's stupid. I don't. It's just me personally, if he is healthy, man, having him at left tackle, having Rasheed Walker as your swing tackle, or here's an idea, just saying, what if you were to move Rasheed Walker to right tackle and kick Tom inside? That's something you don't want to do in season, right? And and I'm I'm more in favor of Zach Tom playing right tackle. I'm just throwing out all these different scenarios. If Bach is on the roster, worst case scenario, you've got one of the best swing tackles in Rasheed Walker in the entire NFL. That could be absolutely huge, right? So what is it worth to have Bach back? If you shaved off that, you know, like I said, seven to eight million, I've actually got a restructure, a realistic restructure number for Bach being 10.1. Basically, his dead cap, you could free up 20 million if you cut him outright. If you can somehow, some way, free up 10 million off of that and have him on the roster, that would be absolutely huge. I've got 8.1 million for Kenny Clark. Um, clearable cap is set at 16 million. I took half. Um, if you cut him, you only free up 3.2. We're not cutting Kenny Clark, obviously. Jair Alexander. In restructure potential, 14.9. I think a realistic number would be 7.4. Aaron Jones, a realistic number is 5.6. Preston Smith, 5.9. Rashawn Gary, 4.1. Elton Jenkins, 4.5. Devondre Campbell, 5 million. If you can, that's kind of a realistic restructure number. I'm not saying Goody will do it. He'll probably do half of the re, the the realistic number of 50.9, which would be around 25 million he could free up. You could have all of those players back on your roster and free up $25 million and be able to go out and get every single one of those free agents that I listed, that we listed, we went through and evaluated, in Bobby Wagner, Geno Stone, Alohi Gilman, Darnell Savage, and Greg Von Roten. You could really kind of build that floor even higher, Tim, 
going into the offseason, get some of those guys back, bring back you Keyshawn Nixon, those type of guys. Still have a little bit of plenty of money to navigate. You like to keep somewhere between five to eight million dollars to be able to navigate the waters throughout the season. And if you don't use it, then it'll just roll into the next year's cap. Um, that's kind of how I see it playing out. Like I would love to see all those players back. I, I think it, the depth that Devondre Campbell could provide or him playing a, a, a Mike or a Will or even a Sam in this new 4-3 base, and then you go out and draft a player like, you know, you guys know I'm big on Jeremiah Trotter Jr. If you're able to pick him up in the second or third round, you plug and play him as a starting linebacker in that 4-3. Now you've got kind of Devondre's replacement because you're going to be in nickel the majority of the time. So yep. you build your roster around spending the money on having two linebackers, two good edge defenders, two good defensive linemen, one good safety, and two good uh, two good corners. That's how I would build the roster out. So there you go. Um, all right. Let's see here. Anything else, Tim? We're at the 58-minute mark. We're going to save the Lombardi video for tonight, man. Sweet. I, I mean, I've said this a while ago. I just don't see Bakhtiari taking a pay cut. I just don't. Right, right. You've been very vocal about that. Yeah, yeah, I don't see it happening. And I and I keep saying that so that, you know, hopefully I'm wrong and he does. <laughs> right. I have this ability to to make these predictions and be completely wrong. So um, you know, hopefully for our sake, I'm totally wrong. And Bach does uh do a restructure, take a pay cut, and um, you know, we'll see though. Time will tell. Uh we're gonna get news sooner than later, though. We're getting to that time of year. So um, and I think, you know, like Ron says here in the chat, you know, oh, sorry, um, shoot with um Keyshawn um yeah would Nixon sign knowing he's not the preferred starting you know nickelback slot guy um I think, I think so because I think uh he's already like you said he's been vocal about wanting to be here uh in Green Bay and I'm pretty sure you know Keyshawn wouldn't have a have a problem taking you know a few million bucks a year to just return kicks and punts for us and then be a be a backup slot. I really, I really do. I think he's a good teammate and a good leader out there. Um, I don't think he'd have a problem uh, not being, you know, that starting guy. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Clay? Yeah, with Nixon's sign, knowing he's not the preferred nickel back, he's definitely a competitor, man. And, you know, he was kind of talking about that last year, how he wanted to be that slot corner. Um, you know, he's real close to Rich Basaccia. They're like kind of, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but it kind of feels like a, on the surface, like a father-son type, you know, respect they have there. Um, so, obviously, him being that that ace kick returner. Um, yeah, I could see him really fighting for that nickel spot. But you know what, man? Get that part out of the way first. Just get the contract done. And then as long as the number's right, like I said, we're signing him to be a kick returner. So, make sure that number fits that mold. I'd be willing to pay him, you know, four to six million dollars to be a kick returner right like i would be willing to do that and you know what don't make it a one-year deal he's proven he can do this at kick returning right so make it a three-year deal where you can move it around a little bit and, and and absorb that cap hit a little bit and then on the back side have it set up to hey look if he does hit a wall you know at the at the age of 28 29 30 whatever you can cut him and free up some significant cap space um but just get him in the building and then let him compete for slot corner. If, if a player is going to get mad, and I'm not suggesting Keyshawn would, but I'm just kind of, you know, good leaders see problems before they happen, right? If you have a situation where he doesn't want to go with the nickelback spot, you got to compete, man. 
And I'm telling you right now, that's something that's been lacking with the Packers for a long time, especially when Aaron was here. The 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 mood in the locker room was kind of like, well, that player's safe, that player's safe, that player's safe. No, everybody's job's up for grabs, including Jordan Love. Like, go to that extreme. We know Love's going to win that job. We've seen how he played last year. I think he's a legit top 10, maybe even top five quarterback moving forward. We'll see how he adjusts the year, too. But yep. even going with the mindset that, look, you're competing for your job. Everybody's competing for their job. All the coaches are competing for their jobs. Like, you got to have that that environment of competition rather than, well, he's our starting center. That's our starting right guard. That's set in stone. That doesn't breed excellence. It really doesn't, man. So, yep. um, yeah, with that being said, yeah, I think it's a good place to kind of wrap it up. Let's get the rest of these chats here. Stephen Smith said, if box stays, then how many tackles do we draft? I've got it listed. Now, think about this. You've got – if Box stays and he's healthy, let's just play play along here. He's our starting left tackle. Rasheed Walker would be your swing tackle. You've got Caleb Jones as well, right? Do you feel comfortable with those being your tackles? If you can ensure me – and I know no one can. We're kind of playing fairy tale here. If you can ensure me Bach is healthy, I'm cool with not drafting another tackle. I'm cool with Rasheed Walker, swing tackle, Caleb Jones as your backup. You didn't really have to utilize Josh much last year, right? So I'm cool with that. If Bach isn't healthy, you got to go get a tackle. You got to. Yep. You can't just rely on it just being Caleb Jones to to be that swing tackle, right? You got. It's just too important of a position. You're one injury away from that being devastation. Um, so that's how I would approach that for sure. Um, let's see. I here. agree. It totally changes your focus in the draft. You know, it really yeah. does. Definitely. Uh, Carly Ray said, "Isn't L. Sneed?" Uh, going to be a free agent. I think she might be talking about, is it Ladarius Sneed? Um, Ladarius. Isn't that, yeah. Isn't that the Ladarius corner? Sneed, Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, that is true. I just found it. All right. Let's look at him real quick and see if we like him um, as a potential. Did, did you confirm he is a free agent, him or not? Yep. yep. Okay. So he is a free agent. According um, to track, he is, yeah. What's? Can you click on his fair market value tab for me and I'll pull up his PFF? All right. Let's see. Sixteen point three million calculated market value. Okay. Does it show what it is per? There should be a huge number in the middle that's like a lower number, like somewhere between twelve and twenty million. Should show that anyway. Sixteen point three, yeah. Okay. So sixteen market value four years sixty-five million. So average salary sixteen point three. Okay, so now you gotta ask yourself, is he worth it? At $16.3 million per on your cap. That's a big chunk, right? That's a big chunk. So when we look at it, with the information we've got right now, we've got a lot of cornerback needs, okay? But we just looked in the draft, and where do we say one of the positions is heavy at? Cornerback, right? Yep. So there's a good chance you could draft a corner. When we pull up his PFF grades, here are his PFF grades the last four years. 72.9, 64.1. 76.1, 71.1. So low 70s essentially is where he's grading out. He's 27 years old, too. I would say no. That's just me personally. Yeah. I would say no to that number. If you could get him for seven or eight million, I'd be all over it. But Spotrack has been spot on with their projected market value. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't go that route for that price. Um, do you agree yeah. with that, Tim, or no? I agree totally. And I think a lot of this, you know, I mean, he's coming off another another championship here. So that's going to, you know, affect the numbers a little bit. Um, and also, I don't know, is Snead a nickel or is he more of a boundary? I think he's more of a, an outside corner, I believe. Okay. 
Yeah, I think so, if I remember correctly. Fidel in the in the chat says, a great show, guys. I appreciate you swinging through, buddy. Good to see you in here, man. I love seeing the the newer names. So you, you may have been in here before, but if I haven't recognized your name, I try to let you know that because it's cool to see uh, new faces in and out of here. The subs are just going through the freaking roof. So if you guys would, hit that sub button for us. That way uh, uh, we can kind of help boost the algorithm. Same thing with the like button. Anytime you get a chance, we appreciate that. Um, Fidel says agree uh, on drafting one later in the draft or drafting one later in the draft. There you go. Um, Yeah. Everybody kind of agrees. He's expensive fellas. Steven Smith says he uh, seems expensive for his age. Um, Jarrell in the chat says Sneed played good this year, but I'll stick to the draft, please. Same thing here. Fidel hard pass. Let's see what Williams says. As much as I love Bach, that 20 million could go a long way in signing free agents. Uh, We would have to take a big pay cut to, he would have to take a big pay cut to stay at that point. We still don't know about his knee. It's a very, very good point, William. Very good. That's what makes it so tough, man. You know, here's the here's the important thing to remember with the the whole knee conversation with Bakhtiari. Okay. Like we do know about his knee. His knee's jacked up. He's had a lot of surgery on his knee. He's getting to the later stages of his career. The knee is always going to be an issue with him. There it, like there's no there's no magic bionic thing they're going to put in his leg that's going to going to make that knee not bother him the more that he plays on it. And if you if you don't believe me, just watch week one against the Bears. I mean, he balled out, and that was great. it. That, and that was it. He played yeah. great. What was his PFF grade in that game? It was phenomenal. It was unbelievable, yeah. He's flipping right. off the Bears fans. It was great. <laughs> and it cost him the rest of the season, you right. know. So one it, game. Yeah. So that that's always going to be an issue, I think. Uh, what we're looking for as fans is, is can we get more out of him? Like like we talk about this, right? If you told me the guy could start, you know, ten or twelve games for us uh, in twenty twenty four, now we're talking about yeah, we need Bach back, you know. But if it's going to be another, you know, one and done or one in your, you know, on the injured reserve list, and then can you come back, you know, yeah, I I see where there's some trepidation there with him, but I just think it's important to remember that like the knee is, we know exactly what's going on with the knee, man. And it's a lot of rehab and a lot of uh, cleanup surgeries. And, you know, that's why I have a lot of respect for Bach. You know, he's been putting his body through this. He's been trying to get back. Um, You know, most guys, maybe they would have hung it up or they, you know, wouldn't have put in the work that it takes to even get back on the field. So we'll see what happens with uh, with D. Bach. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree, man. Randy Cleaver says, uh, great show, guys. Go back, go. Appreciate you. Love the profile pick, too. Got the banner. Got all the banners hanging up there. I love it. Yeah, like I like that right there. Just like that, that right back there. 13 titles, man. All right, guys. We're going to get out of here. We're going to a little over. We'll be back tonight for PTA Live. Uh, we're going to got some Lombardi video to show you. It's going to be really cool. We'll do another uh, mock draft this evening for the Pro Football Network. I'll make sure Jake Shavink knows if he wants to hop in to do the mock draft and hop back out. Um, we got kind of people on speed dial, which is really cool. Everyone across the network will have a link so they can hop in and out. You know, obviously, uh, Jake does the It's Always Draft Season podcast here on the Packer Net, uh, Podcast Network. Has an awesome YouTube channel as well. Just he's our Packer Net draft insider. Basically, you can scan that QR code. Thank you, Tim. In the upper right, that'll send you to Packer Net podcast amongst uh, or across all the platforms, whatever you use to get your podcast, whether it's iTunes or I like to use Podcast Republic. There's a ton of different apps you can use. But if you scan that QR code, it will send you to a multitude of those platforms where you can subscribe to Packer Net podcast. You will hear Ryan Schlipp's flagship Packer Net podcast. You will hear Packernet After Dark. It's a call-in show where the 
Packer fans, you, the listeners, can call in, leave a voicemail. Ryan will play it over the air, answer your questions, respond to your comments, that type of thing. And then, of course, you can find this stupid little show on there, too, in podcast form. So <laughs> uh, with that being said, we're out of here, guys. Appreciate everybody hanging out with us. We'll see you tonight. Uh, tonight, too, I'm going to do it. We're going to give away the autographed Jaden Reed rookie card. I keep forgetting. I'll make sure anyone who's a subscriber – I'm sorry, not a subscriber, not a subscriber. Anyone who's a YouTube member. Okay, of the PTA posse. If you go to our homepage, click join, you can become a YouTube member. Um, I'll take that member list and not put it on a wheel. We'll spin it and give away the autographed Jaden Reed rookie card. So uh, if you want to get yourself into that hat, it's just a way we can give back to those who are supporting the channel and be YouTube members. YouTube members, not subscribers, YouTube members. So um, appreciate you guys. Thank you all so much for hanging out with us. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. And go back, go. Go.